Luke chapter 1, we're going to look at the virgin birth of Christ, the prophecy of it, and then we will actually go to the scene where Jesus was born on the 24th um, at our service coming this week. Christmas Eve services are a good opportunity to invite people to church. Christmas time is a time where culturally people show up and want to come. And uh, my family, we, we had the privilege of living on a street back uh, when I was serving at a different church as an associate pastor. We had the opportunity to invite guests and neighbors and sometimes they would come to church. Even people who are, who are part of other religions uh, would come. And one family that we uh, grew close to, they were from India, and they had come to America and uh, had grown close to us. Uh, they, their children were older, so they kind of adopted our kids, and um, their names uh, are Rajiv and Sunita. So we would invite them to come to church, and they came to our Christmas Eve service um, back in the day, and, and that was unique for us. Uh, we showed up, and a lot of people gathered like they do here, and the lights were down like, like we do here, and, and it was kind of a candlelight service, and they showed up late, and you know, they, they loved curry, you know, being from India, so they just, you know, sort of this, this waft, uh, wafting curry smell followed them in, and they, they sat down next to us, and we were very excited for them to hear the gospel, and, and they were, they were, celebrating the gospel by doing different selected readings, um, prophetic and um, New Testament, about the coming of Christ. And when the conductor, the music conductor, uh, began to explain that Mary was a virgin, I'll never forget it. Uh, Sunita leaned over the aisle. Here we are sitting. It was a very quiet moment in the service and said, Mary was a virgin? Really? Like, like what? And, and so in hushed tones, we were sitting there going, yes, yes, that's right. Because we wanted her to think gospel and understand that. But we were also trying to, uh, you know, respect the moment a little bit. So we were talking in whispered tones, but it was a gospel moment. And the virgin birth was a significant sort of unexpected idea that, that Mary would give birth to a son as a virgin. And for that to connect in the mind of an unbeliever is kind of, uh, you know, and for it to be confusing and even perplexing is kind of expected. Uh, it, it takes faith to believe in the virgin birth. It takes genuine Holy Spirit converted thinking to grasp that, that Jesus was born of a virgin, supernaturally conceived in the womb of Mary. Do you think that's an essential thing to believe? Do you think that's important to understand and to believe? I, it's mentioned just quickly in Matthew and quickly in Luke, but it's mentioned nevertheless. And listen, it's very significant that you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. It's very significant. It's foundation. It's foundational to who Christ is. Not just in the sense that Jesus was born of a virgin, so he was conceived outside of human sin. I mean, that's, that's true. That's true. Uh, in Psalm 51.5, David, in his confession after he had committed egregious sin, said, I was conceived in my mother's womb in sin. And so, yeah, I, Jesus being virgin born and conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, that's significant in the sense that 
he, he never was contaminated by sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Jesus knew no sin. We understand that. But even more foundational than that truth is this. Within the understanding of the virgin birth, you understand that God conceived the Son of God in the womb of Mary. That God, the preexistent Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, was John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that God the Father gave Jesus into this world, that the second member of the Trinity is the son of man, but he is the son of God. So to understand that Jesus was born of a virgin is to say that Jesus is God. That Yes, he's fully human, incarnate, enfleshed, but there was no loss of Jesus being fully God at the same time. In fact, for Jesus to be the son of God, he had to be conceived by God, given in the womb of Mary. You know, everything rises and falls on what you understand of Christ. You have to understand that Jesus, he was and is and is to come. He is God. 1 John 4 says that you have to believe that Jesus came in the flesh. And at the same time, I would say this. You have to believe that Jesus was and is and always will be God to have the right, true Jesus. That's why Jesus called himself the I am, the self-existent one. That's why he said, before Abraham was, I am in John 8. Do you have this Jesus? Do you believe in this Lord? Satan has been trying to make the virgin birth of Jesus non-essential for years. Um, There are all kinds of heretical cult religions that sort of try to mock and mimic some kind of miraculous birth of a god. The Greek myth, uh, uh, mythological person Dionysus, the god of wine, came from a union with the mother cohabitating with Zeus. Um, the Assyrian myth that God, uh, that a god was conceived with a human cohabitating with a sunbeam. Uh, Egyptian myth of Isis is very similar. There's one in India. There's a Chinese cult called Xing Mu where a holy mother is holding a baby in her arms. This is a counterfeit of the true and living God who was born of a virgin. It's a very significant thing to understand buddha he was miraculously conceived when an elephant entered into the mother's belly and buddha was born 11 months later hey liberals also are are guilty of obscuring or making the virgin birth something that's not essential saying hey you know that's that's just more um part of the what makes the narrative of the story sound good. You know, it's just, it's storybook genre, and that's why you have Jesus born of a virgin. Then you have secular explanations where people say, well, Nazareth, Nazareth was notoriously this corrupt little village where Roman soldiers were there. And so a Roman soldier was the father of Jesus with Mary in secret. There's all kinds of blasphemous ideas. All of this strikes at the deity of Christ. God had to be conceived by God in the womb. This is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. 
for God to be the one who overshadowed Mary as a virgin, for him to send his son, that meant that Jesus was so much more than a human Messiah. Jesus is fully human, but he is God sent to us, God with us. Do you believe that? Galatians 4.4 Paul put it this way, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That's the incarnation. Turn over quickly to John 1. I have to just point this out quickly. This is what I'm talking about. Verse 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. Okay, that's talking about the first member of the Trinity, God, and the word, who's the second member of the Trinity, who's always with God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three persons all make up the one true God. And the word, speaking of Jesus, was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him not, was not anything made that was made. Now look at verse 14. Here's the word coming to us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The preexistent word was sent by God, the father into Mary's womb, born of a virgin. That's the gospel. You have to believe that to have the true gospel. This was predicted by Isaiah. Um, Pastor Nathan was talking about that earlier. Isaiah 7, 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. What's the sign? What's significant? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Jeremiah 31, 22, how long will you waver, O faithful, faithful, faithless daughter? Listen to this. For the Lord has created a new thing on earth. What's the new thing? That Jesus came, born of a virgin. Listen, it says, a woman encircles a man. Mary was the woman, and Jesus was the man, the baby in her womb. In Matthew 16, Jesus boiled down believing in the gospel in this way. He was talking to Peter and the disciples, and he, he just struck up a conversation and said, there's a lot of people who are saying I'm a lot of different things. Who do you say that I am? What do you think I am? You know, and, and they were answering, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say a prophet. And, he, and then he sort of zeroed in and said, well, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you're the Christ the son of the living God. Now, notice that all of the other examples, all the other choices, you know, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, prophets, those are all human beings. For you to have true saving faith, the faith that flesh and blood can't reveal to you, but the Holy Spirit has to illuminate in your mind, you have to believe that Jesus is God as God's son who's come to save us. That's the significance of believing in the virgin birth. Uh, rabbis have understood the Old Testament in this way that the Messiah would have no earthly father. Not biologically speaking. Listen, as we look through this text, I just want to open it up this way. What we're going to see in this story where Gabriel appears to Mary, this is verses 26 through 38 in Luke chapter 1, is... 
Mary is moving from being very perplexed about the virgin birth idea to embracing the promise that she would bear the son of God as a virgin. That's what's happening. She's moving from black and white to color in her understanding of the virgin birth. And I want you as a goal this morning to grasp the significance that Jesus had to be born of a virgin to be the son of God. That's the issue. That's what's at stake in this discussion in this talk because a lot of people will want to skip over this detail obscure this detail or just keep this detail on a storybook level on a superficial level and will miss the full saving gospel altogether you can't do that you need to understand the significance of the virgin birth of Christ and I've broken down um, this narrative in this way verses 26 through 27 first of all um, we need to understand the person selected for the virgin birth this is a person who came from a very humble place and this is a very humble person a very humble place look at verse 26 in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Let's stop there. Nazareth. Now, it's called city here, probably because there's no better Greek word that could be used, but it really isn't talking about a big, booming city. This is a little tiny town or even a, a, a obscure village that had to be marked by the fact that you know, it's a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth is just a nowhere place. It wasn't, it was just sort of a pass-through place, not a place that you would, would go. It was called a non-place. This is sort of the, it's not Jerusalem. You're in Nazareth. This is what Nathaniel, the, you know, the follower of Christ, eventually, he said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was a non-place. It was not Jerusalem. Remember, Gabriel, the angel, we learned last week, he met Zechariah. Where did he meet him? He met him in Jerusalem, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. Look, by contrast, this is the most humble place that you could think of going to. This is where you had Roman soldiers. This is a little tiny town, um, you know, that was just, it was just nowhere. It was, it was a between port, the port cities of Tyre and Sidon. Um, Ken Hughes put it this way. He said, Nazareth was a shoddy, corrupt, halfway stop between port cities. It was a place where um, Jews and Gentiles had co-mingled. So it was viewed as not a pure place. It was not Jerusalem. It was not the temple. It was not the Holy of Holies. It was, uh, the angel was not meeting with a priest. The angel was meeting with a little peasant girl in her little house who was a Jew and probably you know, between the ages of 13 and 17, maybe we would tend to think maybe more like 14 years of age because that's when marriages like she being betrothed to Joseph were set up. So she's a little girl who could have been illiterate, who was expected to grow up in this little no-name, no-place town in obscurity. She'd probably have, you know, a bunch of little kids um, who, would, who would grow up and be carpenters' sons, and, and daughters who would work at home, and she would probably never travel outside of a three to five mile radius in her lifetime. That was the expectations of this girl. What she knew of scripture, she learned at synagogue when she would go. And you know what? All of those humble qualifications 
made her perfect for bearing the Son of God. Now, she was a sinner. She wasn't perfect. She wasn't born perfect. That's a, a wrong teaching of Mary. But in terms of her humble heart and sort of her setting in obscurity, that set her up to be the one who would bear the Son of God. So, look at this humble person. Who is this? A godly teenager. You know, a lot of people will make too much of Mary. And by contrast, I think sometimes we make too little of Mary. And we don't want to worship Mary. We don't want to venerate her. She's a sinner. And Jesus even said, look, you know, uh, when the mother and brothers were saying, hey, we want an audience with Jesus. It was when Jesus went in, in his ministry and was, was sitting around. He was, he was looking at his people. He said, yeah, I've got time for them, but you who are my followers, you are my family. You are my brothers and sisters and mothers. So she was just a follower of God. She was a poor peasant girl. And most significantly here is this word in verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, two times in this verse, the word virgin is mentioned, a very significant idea in this text. That's what Luke is proving. That's what he is concretizing right now in the mind of the reader. You got to understand that, this, that the Messiah, who is the Son of God, did not come from normal human conception. This was a miracle for Jesus to be conceived in the womb of Mary. The word virgin is mentioned again in verse 34. So three times in these verses is this theme pronounced. Now, Mary and Joseph were betrothed, and that is a a part of formal marriage in um, Jewish times. And uh, the the word for their betrothal period is um, kedushin, and that... That simply means that you were going to spend a year together in separate homes. You would not consummate this portion of the marriage, but it was more formal than our Americanized engagement. It's more formal than a promise. This was a, a legal binded, legally bound marriage where if one or the other was unfaithful during this time, um, one or the other would typically seek divorce. And there could be a penalty for committing adultery against your spouse during this time period. You could be stoned like the woman who was brought up for stoning in, in John 8. This was a very serious time. It was to test the fidelity and future of the relationship and to work out any issues during this year that could crop up as arranged marriages needed that time to work those things out. Uh, This was the sort of precursor for the second part of the formal marriage, which was the hupa, and that's the Hebrew word for the wedding that took seven days. And it was a seven-day-long wedding, and you can understand Jesus at the wedding of Cana in John 2, where they ran out of wine. Well, you can understand it's a seven-day celebration, right? So, so you have the, these two stages, and they're in the betrothal stage at this point. So this is a humble place with a humble person in a unique circumstance. And then secondly, you have the pronouncement of the virgin birth, verses 28 through 31. So you have the person, now you have the pronouncement of the virgin birth. Look at verse 28. And he, this is Gabriel mentioned in verse 26. Gabriel, who was 
sent from God to the city of Galilee, verse 28, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Well, first of all, this was very troubling for Mary, this young gal, to encounter Gabriel. Now, Gabriel is a famous angel. Um, You'll remember him from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 8. When when Gabriel encountered Daniel, or Daniel encountered Gabriel, what did Daniel do? Well, he fell as a dead man. He fell down on his face because the presence of this angel was very powerful. Now, we, we don't know exactly how Gabriel appeared to Mary. You know, he was speaking her language, conversing with her. Um, I, he presented himself. He, he's a male um, angel in the sense of how this angel was coming across. We don't know if Gabriel was, was levitated off the ground or glowing or just standing there in street clothes. We're, we're not sure. But in the presence of Gabriel, Mary was troubled. It's the same word that was used of Zechariah when, when Zechariah encountered Gabriel, verse 12 of Luke 1. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But I want to point this out. Mary is not actually troubled by the sight of Gabriel as much as she is troubled by what Gabriel was communicating to her. Look at verse 29. She was greatly troubled at the saying. Now, before we get to what she was troubled over, let's just talk first and foremost by the Affirming words that Gabriel said, verse 28, Gabriel's message was positive. He said, oh, favored one. Um, this is uh, literally, she's, she is a graced individual. She's a graced one. Now, what does that mean? A lot of people um, in Roman Catholic theology will, will say that um, Mary at that point became a dispenser of God's grace, God's human messenger to give grace to other people. And that's not what's being stated here at all. I don't believe that is scriptural at all. It Mary's not to be worshipped or or even venerated in that sense. She's to be respected as a godly woman. Mary was probably one of the most godly people that we know of in Scripture. I don't want to take anything away from Mary, but at the same time, Mary is not an intercessor to God, and she is not a dispenser of God's grace to people. But she is an example to us, one to um, follow her as she followed Christ, because she was graced. She was theologically minded and grounded as her magnificat verses 46 through 55 shows us she was a godly young woman a woman of God and I I don't want to make take lightly the fact that God loves women and uses women and works through women for his glory and Mary is a extreme example of this she was favored but at the same time you got to understand this same word is used of every believer Ephesians 1 6 Ephesians 1, 6, Paul says, he has bestowed favor or grace upon us in the beloved. So in other words, Mary was a recipient of grace. She was a follower of Christ. Do not make light of the fact that you are a believer who has received intervening grace into your life. God has come to dwell with you as a believer, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, as one who can have and does have a relationship with the Lord, the same kind of relationship that Mary had and has. Well, she was troubled and she was affirmed. And then thirdly, there was a definite pronouncement. There was a definiteness to this pronouncement. Look at at verse 31. 
Well, verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. In verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now, this is what I think Mary was troubled over. (laughs) Things are beginning to clarify in her mind because she knows she's in the betrothal period. She knows that she is not going to cohabitate with Joseph. There's not going to be a consummation of marriage. Um, She's in the separation period and she sees that there's an angel in her living room and there's something very significant that's not going to happen after this uh, second stage of marriage with Joseph. This is happening to her right now. There's a sense in which the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of the Holy Spirit could be present in this meeting. The, the, the conception could be happening in this encounter, in this moment. And so she's troubled by what's going on. But this is not her being troubled in unbelief. This is her um, in belief, being overwhelmed and in awe of what the Lord is up to. Again, Mary isn't going to be struck deaf or mute like Zechariah. She, she's taking it all in and she's moving from black and white to color where she's, she's sort of grasping the significance of the virgin birth and, and understanding that this is, this is her, this is she that they're talking about. And, and she's grasping the fact that the name of this baby is Jesus, is to be Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. So she's becoming more clear about the significance of what's going on, though she doesn't fully grasp it yet. Again, look down at your text, uh, because it does say, you shall call his name Jesus. In the Hebrew, that's Joshua. It means the Lord is salvation. Very significant. Well, we move from the person of the virgin birth to the pronouncement to the prophecies relating to the virgin birth. And this fills out the significance of, of who this one was to be conceived in her womb. Verse 32, he will be great. Stop there. Number one, Jesus is great. There is no greater being than Jesus. Jesus is God, very God. He is the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. There's no qualification on this. He is Great. If you look up at verse 15, remember in parallel, you have Gabriel before meeting with Zechariah in the temple in Jerusalem in the Holy of Holies. And he's predicting the fact that John the Baptist would be given to them and would be born as the forerunner of Christ. And regarding John the Baptist, verse 15, Gabriel said this, for he, John the Baptist, will be great before the Lord. So John the Baptist, he was great as a servant of God, as a human prophet of God. But Jesus, by contrast, with no qualification, will be great. He is God. Secondly, Jesus is God. It says, and will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, I got to point this out. I think sometimes people think about Son of God language as lesser than the Father. But if you are God's son, that that means you are essentially the same in substance. In other words, that's why the Holy Spirit is the one who overshadowed Mary's womb and God's the son was conceived of a virgin because that's proving that Jesus is of deity, the substance of deity. He is given 
from God coming as God, essentially the same substance, which is God. So Mary is becoming very troubled with this, these prophecies as they are unfurling in front of her because she's beginning to understand that within her human womb, she is going to carry God. She is going to give birth to God. She is going to nurse God. She is going to parent God. That's very significant. I mean, Mary is a very significant person out of all the billions of people who ever were born before her, who were there on earth while she was there and who've come after. She is the one selected to raise the son of God. Just uh, if you let that sink in, besides all the, you know, the nativity scenes that you see and the storybook, you know, ideas of, of what was going on and just let that concept sink into your heart. Could you imagine owning that privilege? It's a very scary thing to understand and come clear on. God would be in her womb. Well, Jesus is great. Jesus is God and Jesus is king. Verses 32 through 33. Look at this. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom and of his kingdom there will be no end. The throne of his father David. This is where Gabriel is establishing Old Testament prophecy that was given to David personally, directly, literally to David, that David's throne was going to carry on beyond David's years. And it's showing that Jesus coming is the fulfillment of that truth. And if you take the Old Testament promises and prophecies literally, then you understand that Jesus not only is the king in heaven now, but he will establish a royal rule and reign here on earth for a thousand years, as Revelation 20 explains in the millennial kingdom. And ethnic Israel will be gathered in. There's an in-gathering that the book of Romans speaks of where God's people, ethnic Israel, are gathered as believers in the church worshiping Christ and the Davidic throne continues even here on earth. 2 Samuel seven twelve says, when your days, this is God speaking to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. Who's the offspring? Well, it's Solomon. But who is, who is this really speaking of? Jesus. Jesus is the offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Jesus is fulfilling redemptive history. Um, it says the house of Jacob. He will reign over the house of Jacob, which is just synonymous for Israel. And he'll do it for how long? I mean, you have to understand this fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy is Jesus being the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, not just for a thousand years, but throughout all of eternity. Again, it's a big concept of who Mary will bear in her womb. So she ponders these things. We move from her being perplexed by the prophecies to the ponderings regarding the virgin birth, verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Again, she's thinking logically. She's even thinking biologically. 
but she needs to think supernaturally. She needs to understand the virgin birth. She needs to come clear on the fact that this is a supernatural work of God. And she's asking in faith. Well, the answer is found in verses 35 through 37. The power necessary to the virgin birth. Look at this. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the son of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, this is very, as, as one person put it, reverent and reserved language. They're, these are delicate expressions. This is contrasting the idea of some kind of pagan mating ritual or, or cultic dynamic. This is the Holy Spirit coming over Mary as if the Shekinah presence is, is, is there. And at that moment, Mary, as a worshiper of the living God, has Jesus in her womb. It's a miracle. And you say, well, how does it all work out? How do we fit all this together? Guess what? We're not supposed to go there. The Bible is as, is as explicit as it needs to be in this moment. It's the idea that God sent his son to be in Mary's womb. That's as far as the scripture takes us. It's glorious, it's beautiful, and it had to be from God for God's son to be present in this way. Now again, what does it mean that that the power of the Most High will overshadow you, therefore the child to be born will be holy? What does it mean that the child's holy? Well, the child again... Jesus was not conceived in sin. Um, sin did not touch or contaminate Jesus whatsoever. And we understand that. But perhaps more significantly than that, you just need to understand that the word holy here is setting the Son of God apart as God. Deity dwelt inside Mary. Fully God and fully human as a baby. Well, Mary needed a little bit more convincing. And so Gabriel graciously gave her an example of this or an example um, of sort of within her family, miraculous, the miraculous gift of John the Baptist. Look at verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. Now this came through um, natural... um, cohabitation between Zechariah and Elizabeth, but because Elizabeth was old, beyond childbearing years, this too was a miracle. Conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Now, again, Elizabeth had been in obscurity for five months. If you look at verse 24, she'd been hiding herself. So this was news to Mary. Mary's eyes will be popping out of her head and saying, wow, my cousin Elizabeth is going to have a baby. She's with child. That's amazing. She's way beyond the years of conceiving and yet it's happened for her. Now verse 37, Gabriel's point, for nothing will be impossible with God. Literally, I I love the literal um, Greek here. Nothing will be impossible in terms of God's word. That's what it's saying. Nothing is impossible in terms of God keeping his 
word. So the Messiah is conceived by the Holy Spirit and the Messiah is the son of God. Nothing's impossible with God. Listen, you have to understand God. God, it, God, it says in God's word, cannot lie. So can God do anything? Yes, but God at the same time will never contradict his word. On the flip side, listen to this. Will God always keep his promises and do impossible things? Yes, but he'll always do them in accordance with his word. And so as we trust the Lord, what we're trusting ultimately is his will as it is described and displayed in his word. We pray for people to be healed. We pray for people to be saved. We pray for things to happen in our lifetime. And we don't know what's got, what God's will is in those realities with those prayers. No matter how much we pray, we're, we're trusting him. But we do know as a believer that we are guaranteed heaven. We do know that as a believer right now, the Lord dwells with us and is in us spiritually. And we know him personally and have a relationship with him now. And that's founded and based on God's Word. He fulfills the promises that are clearly written out for us in the, in the Word of God. Romans 8, 28. All things are working together for the good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. purposes. As a believer, when tough times are happening, rough times are happening, things aren't fully clear in your life, guess what? God is working in your life and he's making you more like Jesus through difficult circumstances. He always fulfills his promises. Number six. The promise made in light of the virgin birth, verse 38. Look at this. The promise here is made by Mary. This is her commitment. Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Stop there. This again is where Mary becomes a very, very clear example to us in faith. Look, Mary could have said, you know, I'm out of here. I'm going to run and just try to detox and decompress what just happened to me. Who is Gabriel again? What is, what's going on here? What do the Old Testament scriptures say? And is this me? I'm that person prophesied in Isaiah 7. I'm that virgin. I'm the one who's going to um, have the son of God. What does this mean? I, I, she, she, again, being pregnant, not by Joseph, in this first year of betrothal, actually put her life at risk. Many of you have thought about that. I mean, she, she was to be stigmatized as a pregnant young lady. Uh, and, and she was mocked. John eight forty one is where the Pharisees were mocking and dogging Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? And Mary grew up with the same kind of stigma, but they were calling Jesus Christ a bastard son. John 8, 41, the Pharisees said, you are doing the works of your, your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Implication, Jesus, you were. How blasphemous is that? They were saying, we have one father, even God. Well, Mary grew up with that kind of taunting as a little girl, as a young lady, as a woman of God. Remember, Joseph, trying to grasp what was going on, wanted to put her away. In other words, he wanted to divorce Mary when he found out that she was with child. Deuteronomy 22 said that you were to be stoned if you committed adultery. And we don't know if that would have exactly applied at this point. But listen, all Mary needed 
was the word of God in her heart. The word of God that had come through Gabriel. And she went, let it be done. I will be submissive. Saying, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. This is her godliness. Some falsely believe that this decision that Mary made initiated the process of conception. And that's not true. This is just simple faith. Simple, clear faith. God has a mission for you. He has a plan for you. He's working out his will in your life. And as he reveals it to you, and as he illuminates the scripture before you and says, live this way, accept these realities in your life. It's not for you to be like Zechariah and say, how could this be possible? We are, we are beyond childbearing years. How could we have John the Baptist? I don't understand. I'm just afraid. I'm just freaked out. No, it's not for you to be living like that. That's why Zechariah got cursed, deaf, and mute. Instead, by contrast, we're to be like Mary, who hears the word of God, understands things, connects the dots, grapples with it, is rightfully troubled, is intensely shaking in her boots through what she's hearing, and at the same time saying, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. I will do according to your word, your will. That's Christian living. I mean, what is your step of faith? What is it that God wants you to accept? That God is presenting for you to embrace? What part of God's will have you not yet said what Mary said? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's faith. That's a strong woman of God, and she needed to make that kind of commitment to go through what she was about to go through. You have to ask yourself, what is it that the Lord wants for me? I, my subpoints are she was submissive, and secondly, guess what? She was heroic. Do you believe that? Heroic. She's a heroic, godly Christian. She was word-based. She trusted the word of God. What Gabriel had told her, it says the angel departed from her. That's just, a, you know, the angel, once the mission is completed, once it's the message is received, he's gone, he's out of there. That's time for Mary to persevere by faith. And this is just shoe leather Christianity. I mean, she is going to have to travel to Bethlehem. She's going to have to, um, you know, go to the stable for the birth of Christ. She is going to have to deal with the, the stigma of people wondering what's going on, what's happening with her, what happened in their marriage, why didn't they get a divorce, all those questions. And she's going to deliver the baby, Jesus, who is the Son of God. And all of these things, it, it gives us little windows into Mary's godliness where she's treasuring up these things in her hearts when she hears the prophecies being fulfilled with just shoe leather, normal Christian living. The word of God and the will of God is playing out before her eyes and she is embracing every step of the way God's will for her life. You know, do you trust God's word regarding the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? I hope you do. It's very significant that the Son of God was conceived of a virgin. It's essential to Christ being God. I hope I've made that case clear to you this morning. You know, you might give some sort of superficial assent to that. You might give some sort of credence to that and say, okay, yeah, I, I get it. 
but maybe you haven't genuinely believed from the heart yet. And I want to just talk to you. Maybe you're still wrestling with whether or not you're going to become a Christian. Whether or not you're going to truly submit to God's word and God's will for your life. Because listen, it was a one of a one of a kind event for Jesus to come in the way that he did. Conceived in the womb of a virgin. But for you in your lifetime, let me just say this. It's a once in a lifetime experience for you to have, for you to cross from being an unbeliever who's without God, away from God, born in sin, following the world, the flesh, and the devil on your way to hell, and for you to say, no, stop. I'm going to instead not trust myself, but I'm going to trust the living God that you want me to be your child, that you want the Holy Spirit to enter into my life where I can have a personal, vibrant, real relationship with the living God. Hey, that's a a miracle too. Every person that passes from death to life, that goes from being a son of Satan to a child of God, has experienced the miracle of regeneration, the new birth, being born again to know God. And I would ask you, receive Christ this morning if you've not yet done that. Bow your heads, close your eyes. With nobody looking around, just do business with God for a moment. Think about your standing with Christ. Are you one of God's children or are you still living for yourself? Are you still living for the world? Are you still caught up in sins or have you said, Lord, I want to be your child. Please come into my life. Forgive me of my sins Have you yet believed that Jesus Christ came as a little baby but grew up in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God, in favor with man, lived a perfect life, obeyed every law to be obeyed? And because he was the perfect Lamb of God who died on a cross 2,000 years ago, was buried and rose again to be the sacrificial payment for your sins, You can have a washed and cleansed heart. You can have the forgiveness of your sins and be set for eternity where you have believed that Jesus not only died for your sins, but he was buried and rose again on the third day. And because he rose and is seated at the right hand of the Father, one day when you die, your spirit will be saved for all of eternity as a worshiper of God, if you've not yet done that, ask the Lord in the quietness of your heart for him to come into your life and for him to rescue you and for him to reveal himself to you and give you the miracle of new birth this morning. That's what Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Father, thank you for this morning. I pray that men and women all across the auditorium and boys and girls would receive Christ as Savior this morning. And for those of us who are yours, I pray that we would rededicate ourselves as people who want to be like Mary. We want to be 
submissive and heroic Christians, not for our own glory, but because we are followers of Jesus Christ. We've experienced the new birth where old things passed away and everything became new. I used to live for myself. I used to be hopeless. And now I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. I pray that we would have joy this Christmas season as worshipers of you, not being um, caught up in the sort of cotton candy experiences of unsatisfying life, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with our relationship with Christ. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for this story of Mary, which is really the story of the coming of Jesus Christ to save us from all of our sins. Thank you for this time in your word and this worship service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we